today we are going to finish our series on the death of America. Now, as I mentioned before, and I want to make very clear, this is hands down one of the most difficult, the most difficult message I've ever had to deliver. You know, having to go through this series, talking about the things that I had to talk about, putting it together, preparing it, I can tell you literally made me sick to my stomach. I mean, I was physically ill throughout this entire series, having to talk about the death and destruction of the very nation that I was birthed in, having to talk about the death and destruction of a nation where my own friends and family live. This is the last thing I can tell you that I want to address. This is the last thing I want to see happen to this country, which not so long ago, remember, was considered the greatest nation on the earth. I want to see this nation blessed. I want to see this country prosper. I want to see freedom reign. I want to live in a nation where I have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I want to live in a nation where the rest of the world wants to live in. They want to emulate us. That's the kind of nation I want to live in. I want this country to be a place where its inhabitants embrace righteousness. Its inhabitants embrace morality, kindness, and love. A place where we can find charity literally at every corner. A place where the leaders of this nation, they stand up. They take charge. They take the charge of morality, of righteousness. They stand up and lead us, the citizens, in prayer. This is the kind of nation I want to live in. I want to live in a nation where the leaders are proud to proclaim the name of Jesus, Yeshua. This is what I want to see. The last thing I want to see happen to this nation is for it to come under the judgment of God. Where hell is literally unleashed upon the inhabitants. And the inhabitants suffer, they are oppressed, even destroyed. Let me tell you something. Nobody wants to see that. Unless you're one of those individuals who are actually looking for the judgment of God... You can't wait for judgment to rain down upon all the heathens that live in this nation. Before we get started, let me say this. If you're one of those who is fantasizing about God unleashing hell, sinners receiving their just due, let me take a moment to enlighten you for a few minutes. And listen to me carefully. When you actually witness the judgment of God, the hell that is unleashed upon this nation, I can promise you this. That whole fantasy that you've conjured up in your head, whatever it is, that sinners are going to receive their just due, you can't wait for it, that will vanish faster than you can say, oh God help us. Believe me when I say this, you do not want to witness the judgment of God. Because when you do, I can promise you it's going to affect you in ways you have never dreamed of. Even if you're spared, Okay, Even if you're spared through it, you're preserved through it, you're going to have to live with haunting images of God's wrath. Images you'll have to live with for the rest of your life. And if there's you know, any question to the reality of what I'm trying to present here, all you do need to do is peer back in history. Think about biblical history. The stories that you read in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Horrifying. Terrifying when you see God's judgment unleashed upon Israel or his judgment unleashed upon other nations. It's terrifying. It's horrifying. Not just that. Think about the story of the Maccabees. How many of you have read the story of Maccabees? I'm going to tell you right now, that story is all about victory. It was about hope. It's about perseverance. The Jews persevered through it. But I can tell you this. It's one of the most horrific stories I've ever read in my life. It's a story that you will lose sleep at night. I can promise you that. You will. Or talks about mothers who are with child being ripped open. Other mothers having their children killed, and then they're being forced to hang them around their neck. This is the judgment of God. Believe me, you don't want to see it. Not just that, but let's consider for a second some secular history. Countless interviews that I've actually witnessed 
I wanted to share some of them with you. I didn't get a chance to put them in. But men and women who have actually survived what we've been talking about, communism, they've escaped it and lived to tell about it. And one thing I can tell you about every single one of these individuals, they're scarred. There's a brutal scar there for the rest of their life because their eyes had seen things they were never meant to see. We were never meant to see the judgment of God. I can tell you that. We were made in the image of God. We were made for good things. We were never meant to see death and destruction. Most of all, His wrath. So my point is, is you do not want to see the judgment of God. What we want to see is for the sinners, the idolaters, the immoral, the wicked of the nation to turn back from their iniquity. To turn back so that this generation can advert disaster. So that this country can advert the wrath of God. This is what we want to see. This is what I desire to see. But unfortunately, what I want and what is coming, these are two different things. Our current political, social, economic conditions, just step back and look at it. Our current spiritual condition of this nation that exists, you step back and you look at it all, take it all into view, it suggests one thing. The judgment of God is imminent. Repentance on a national level, nowhere to be found. The inhabitants of this land are still gorging themselves in sin. We as a nation, we've turned our backs on God. We've turned our backs on Israel. And even worse, we've turned our backs on each other. And what's the saying? United we stand, divided we fall. We are a nation that is divided right now. And we are in the process of falling. It's a reality we don't want to face. It's a reality we don't want to believe. But understand, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it better. This is something we have to head face on. We've got to see it right to its face. We've got to step up. This nation has never needed repentance more than it needs it now. Amen? Now, when thinking about how to end this series, I've only rewritten this thing five times. I've decided to end it by addressing a particular question. At least this is the main thrust of today's message. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on some other things. But this is the main thrust. It's all built around a question I've been getting over and over throughout this series. Understandably, I get it. But the question is this. What is going to happen to all the believers when the judgment of God comes upon America? How many of you want to know the answer to this question? What is going to happen to us if in fact this nation is going to face the wrath of God, as I've been alluding to throughout this series, what happens to the believers? Are the believers going to be protected throughout all of this? Supernaturally preserved while the rest of the nation suffers? Suffers from oppression? Suffers from the sword, the famine, the pestilence? From total economic plundering? While death and destruction are moving throughout the land? Will we as believers be living the high life while all this is happening? Or, will the righteous be impacted as well? Will we be in need? Will we experience hardship? Will we be oppressed? What can we as believers expect to happen when all of this takes place? So today I'm going to address this question directly. And I want to begin by addressing this question at the most simplistic level. The reality is this. Nobody can say for certain what's going to happen to any one of you when all of this unfolds, individually or collectively. Only God knows, right? There's uncertainty. This doesn't mean there isn't prophetic revelations. I believe prophetic revelations exist today. Yeshua talked about it's good that he goes away. If he goes away, he will send his spirit to us. One of the things we're told that that spirit will do is that he will reveal to you things to come. So I believe in prophecy today. I believe these prophetic revelations, but so did Paul. And Paul still lived in a state that was unknown. Just read the book of Acts. This is clear. He had revelations, but his future was always in the balance. He didn't know. We sit in the very same situation today. 
None of us can say for certain that what you're going to face when this all comes down. However, however, having said that, does this mean that we're completely ignorant, that we're to be completely ignorant on the reality of, the, of what's unfolding? Of course not. God's left us his word, right? And within his word, we're given examples. We're given imageries. We're given stories for the purpose of supernatural insight so that we, being the people of God, can know what things to expect when God, in fact, brings judgment upon this land. So what I want to do is I want to begin today by going to the word, taking you, book, taking you back to the book of Ezekiel, to a passage we cover multiple times. This is where this, this very series was birthed from, is this passage, Ezekiel 14, 13. Son of man, when the land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread and famine on it and cut off man and beast from it. In other words, they're going to face the sword. Right? Sword, famine, pestilence. Verse 14. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. It's interesting That right within this passage, we are given expectations. Okay, when a land sins against him persistently, they are unfaithful to him, what can they expect? They can expect the judgment of God. There's also a flip side to this. The expectation of the righteous. What happens to the righteous? Well, according to this passage, we're told that they are delivered. In this passage, the righteous are delivered. Now, this tells me a couple things. Most importantly is, God makes a distinction between the holy and the profane. Between the righteous and the wicked. This passage, and many others, prove it. There's a distinction drawn. And so here, we're given some expectations that we can have. Alright? Going to Psalm 37, verse 18 We read, the Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Now he goes on to say, a couple verses later in 25, I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. This is good news. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. In other words, subject to famine. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. So scripture is clear. The Lord loves the righteous. He cares for them despite whatever horrifying circumstances that exist. The Lord is mighty to save. He sustains. He preserves. For me, knowing what is on our horizon, what is coming to this nation, this is good news for me. This makes me feel good. Right? The Lord is drawing a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. I have confidence that he will care for me. However, there's another however in here. However, does that mean that when God's judgment comes upon this land, that his people will not struggle? Does that mean when God's judgment comes upon this land, his people won't be in need? That his people won't be oppressed. They won't be taken captive, thrown in jail. And in the the American gulag or a re-education camp, does it mean the righteous are not going to face tribulation when his wrath is poured out on this nation? Unfortunately, not necessarily. That's the answer. And all you need to do to understand what I'm telling you is read the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we actually find something interesting, something fascinating happen. God, I mean, what is Revelation about? What's the core of it? It's about the wrath of God, right? You've read it. We read about the seals. We read about these trumpet blasts. We read about the bowls of wrath. I mean, the the, the crux of it, the core, is all about wrath. It's fascinating as you're seeing wrath being poured out on the inhabitants of the land. The wrath of God coming upon the inhabitants of the land In turn, we find the inhabitants of the land start persecuting the believers, the saints. Proof of this is found right in uh, Revelation chapter 12, 
We actually read in Revelation 12, 17, I quote it all the time. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring, specifically the elect of God. And they're defined by those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of the Messiah Yeshua. He goes to make war against them. And what's interesting is, as you continue on into the next chapter, we read this in chapter 13, verse 7. So it was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Aren't the saints blessed? I thought saints were supposed to be blessed. I mean, here we see, despite the saints being blessed, because we are blessed in Yeshua, amen? Does this mean that as God is pouring out His wrath upon the wicked, that the saints are out there sipping umbrella drinks poolside? It doesn't. Not at all. And this really shouldn't surprise you, because we're actually told throughout Scripture, we're given an expectation, We're given, as believers in Yeshua, we're given an expectation. What is that expectation? It is found in 2 Timothy 3.12, among many others. Paul says to Timothy, yes, all who desire to live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. This is the expectation that we as believers have in this life. Everyone who seeks to live holy, to keep His commandments, who refuses to compromise the faith, we're told... You're going to see persecution, at least to some level, to some degree. One of you may face worse persecution than another. We don't know. We we can't see that unless the Lord supernaturally reveals it. It's unknown. But the expectation is what? We will see persecution, right? But who's going to experience what and to what degree? Nobody knows. Well, then we go on to Matthew 24, verse 7, and we read Yeshua's words. And let me know if this sounds like an environment that we're living in today. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. It's almost like you could check, check, check. All of these things are taking place. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. These are the labor pains are now starting known as time of Jacob's trouble. The labor pains are starting, the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his disciples. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another. We are seeing a level of betraying that we have never seen in this country today. And will hate one another. They will hate one another. Now Yeshua goes on in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 15. He tells us why. Why do they hate us? And he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So because you give your lives to Yeshua... The reality is, is that you are, the expectation has been set. You're going to be hated. And believe me when I say this, there are few entities on this earth that boast such severe hatred against Christianity than that of communism. Very few on this earth that can even compete. Just one that comes to mind that can is Islam. Communism, hands down, is one of the most vile corrupt, godless, merciless ideologies the world has ever seen. And if, in fact, this ideology is infiltrating the United States of America, and if, in fact, it is true that God is going to utilize this particular ideology, this particular enemy, to bring judgment upon the inhabitants of the land, even though uh, it may only be one of several ways that the Lord chooses to bring judgment upon us, He's obviously not confined in any way, just to one methodology, right? But if, in fact, communism is gaining ground, gaining influence in this country, well, then we as believers, we need to take note of this. You better take it into consideration, because I can tell you that if this happens, 
Make no mistake, the Christians of this nation who stand fast in their faith, the ones who cling to godly morality, they refuse to compromise godly principles set forth in the Word, you better believe they're going to be targeted. Christians in this nation will become enemies of the state overnight. And this is something, if you've been with me throughout this series, you already know to be true. Christians are already being demonized. We're already being classified as enemies of the state. Right? And why? Why would we be classified as enemies of the state? Why is there a demonization happening? I can tell you why. Communism and Christianity are incompatible. They cannot coexist together. They don't. They cannot. One will give, and the other will take, or vice versa. Karl Marx is, who's, as we mentioned before, the father of communism. Listen to this following remarks, just showing you the incompatibility between communism and Christianity. And he actually, this is uh, in his Communist Manifesto. This is the Communist Bible, if you will. Listen to what he says. Undoubtedly, it will be said, religious, moral, philosophical, uh, juridical ideas have been modified in the course of historical development. But religion, morality, philosophy, political science, and law constantly survive this change. There are besides, listen to this, eternal truths such as freedom, justice, etc. that are common to all states of society. But communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion and all morality instead of constituting them on a new basis. It therefore acts in contradiction to all past historical experience. Simply put, Marx is telling you communism cannot cohabitate with Christianity. They're diabolically opposed to one another. The very framework, the fundamental ideologies, they're in opposition to each other. Thus, according to Marx, communism must abolish all eternal truths. Their goal is to bring Christianity, freedom, liberty to ashes. This is their sole goal. John Stormer, he further goes on to describe this concept which Mark, uh, Marx presents here in his manifesto. And Stormer, he shows, he further shows this incompatibility that exists and he really gives us a great perspective. This is what he says. Being material scientists, the communists do not hesitate. All the animals infected with the disease of capitalism and freedom must be exterminated. To the communists, this is not murder. Murder means killing for bad reasons. They will kill the bourgeoisie for a good reason. The establishment of world communism. The end justifies the means. He goes on. The communists, therefore, are not interested in converting you, the reader, to communism particularly if you're over the 30 years of age. If you can be lulled into doing nothing to oppose the triumph of world communism, that is enough. Once the takeover comes, you, like millions of others who believe in God and man's responsibility for his own life and actions, can be slaughtered like diseased animals or worked to death in slave labor camps or brothels for the Red Army. The communists are after your children, or grandchildren, who can still be molded into obedient slaves of the state. Gus Hall, General Secretary of the Communist Party in the USA, told Americans what to expect, listen, expectation, what to expect when the communists take over. Speaking at the funeral of Eugene Dennis in February 1961, Hall said the following, I dream of an hour when the last congressman is strangled to death in the guts of the last preacher. And since the Christians love to sing about the blood, why not give them a little of it? Expectation. Communism's infiltrating into this country. This is what you need to expect. Understand, when communism comes in, and it is, it's going to make war against those who put their faith in Yeshua. This is what is coming. Now, could you be preserved through all this? Absolutely. Okay? We're talking about God here. He's not limited in any way. Could he preserve you supernaturally? I've seen him do it with his prophets. And I've also seen the prophets slaughtered. Who's to say who's going to survive? We don't know. Doesn't matter. We put our trust in Yeshua. We need to be prepared to die for the faith. 
Either way, your life is in the hands of Yeshua, amen? This is our confidence. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Daniel, communism is going to destroy Christianity. They really got their work cut out for them in this country because they're going to have to deal with Islam. Islam will never stand for having uh, uh, to, to be attacked, to have their religion attacked. They'll fight. They'll stand up and fight. And so here we may have a friend, if you will. And let me say this. If history has any way of repeating itself, Islam won't have to fight. Because communism and Islam have a unique way. Despite their differences, the core beliefs, they have this unique, innate sense, this eerie way of coexisting. It really is amazing. In fact, I want to share this with you. And I took this off right off this socialist site. It's an international socialist website. I want to show you a little about history and how communism can work with Islam. And this is what we read. In his article, The Bolsheviks and Islam, and remember the Bolshevik Revolution, this was by Lenin, communism. Guy who starved his own people and enjoyed it. British socialist Dave Crouch cites a declaration called to all the Muslim workers of Russia and the East, which was issued by the fledgling Soviet government on the 24th of November, 1917. And he goes on. Muslims of Russia, all you uh, whose mosques and prayer houses have been destroyed, whose beliefs and customs have been trampled upon by the czars and oppressors of Russia, Your beliefs and practices, your national and cultural institutions are forever free and inviolate. Know that your rights, like those of all the peoples of Russia, are under the mighty protection of the revolution. The protection. This is what you just heard. The effect of Bolshevik uh, policies was to ally the revolution with progressive Muslims. Bottom line is, if you look in America, we're filled with them progressive Muslims, and other religious minorities who sought social justice and that had a radicalizing impact on struggles around the world, including on anti-imperial struggles. Do you ever notice the religious climate in the United States of America right now? It's amazing. Judeo-Christianity, as I've shown throughout this series, is being pummeled. It's being downtrodden, it's being beat down, it's being confined into boxes so that it can't even operate, so that we can't pray in schools, all the while, Islam is being elevated. Islam is being protected. They're being afforded more and more rights. This, this, is, this is eerie. When you think about it, and I know the history between Islam and communism, And they work hand in hand, and it's exactly going down as it did before in Russia. They join together. You would think it wouldn't happen that way. History shows us otherwise. This is mind-boggling, what is happening in this country, and most people don't see it. You want to see just how close we are to raising the red flag in this country? I want you to consider the following goals that communism sought to accomplish in overtaking the United States of America. We find these goals listed out by, uh, in, in the Naked Communists. I've quoted from it. Cleon Skousen, who is an expert in the field, devoted a good portion of his life to studying it, FBI. He lists out 45 goals of the Communist Party, okay, elaborating their, on their strategy for the takeover of the United States of America. But please keep in mind, The original book was written in the late 50s. It wasn't written today. It was written in the late 50s. I want to show you just some of these. And we find in number 37, this is one of their goals. To infiltrate and gain control of big business. This is one of their goals that they knew. To infiltrate the United States of America, they're going to have to get their hands on big business. Well, it's really scary when you look at our government, who is not supposed to be involved in the private sector whatsoever, at all. And yet, what do we see happening? We read headlines like this. U.S. to take over. This is the federal government. AIG, an $85 billion bailout. Central banks injects cash as credit dries up. Emergency loan effectively gives government control of insurer. 
historic move would cap 10 days that reshape U.S. finance. We have other headlines like this, and I could go on. U.S. seizes Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Treasury Chief Paulson unveils historic government takeover of twin mortgage buyers. Top executives are out. This is mind-boggling. This is one of the goals that they said they would have to achieve to take over this nation. Goal accomplished. It's already been accomplished. Look at number 16. The use of technical decisions of the courts to weaken basic American institutions by claiming their activities violate civil rights. I don't even need to go any further. If you've been through this study, goal is already accomplished. We already see this has already happened. Number 17, get control of schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers' associations. Put the party line in tech books. Goal accomplished. You wonder why our schools are demented. They are morally deprived. Don't wonder. It's an attack. It's an attack against our system. It's an attack against who we are as Americans, what we cling to. Righteousness, morality, to the Lord, to the Word of God, to the Bible. Number 20, infiltrate the press. Get control of book review assignments, editorial writings, and policy-making positions. We already talked about this. The communists need to hold powerful positions of influence. There's no greater influence in this country than the press. It's one of the greatest positions of power you can hold. And our media today, it is plagued with propaganda. I mean, if you want any truth whatsoever, you're forced to go to an independent media source to get the real story. Because all the big boys are bought and paid for. They're propaganda machines. The press in this nation is not concerned about giving you the truth. They're concerned with propagandizing you, psychologically manipulating you. Look at this headline that I just pulled up. New law allows Obama to take over all media. Your government is acting in open, undeclared, but blatant treason. An online radio host is sounding the alarm over a brand new law he claims grants the federal government massive new powers to saturate Americans with domestic propaganda at U.S. taxpayer expense goes on to say this law allows the federal government to have sweeping power to push television, radio, newspaper, and social media propaganda onto the U.S. public, warns Michael Evans of America's Voice Now. Understand, the press has been infiltrated. What communists sought to accomplish, it's been done. It's a very scary thing to think about. Joseph Pulitzer, who knew a thing or two about the press, listened to his statement. He says... Our republic and its press will rise and fall together. I hope you can appreciate that. He understood the power of media. He understood whoever controls media is going to control this country. It will rise and fall together. Going to 11, we read, this is one of their goals. This is not a secret. Promote the promotion of the U.N., as the only hope for mankind. Communists have championed the new world order. They want a one world government. This is what they want. They've been promoting the UN. This is why you see China and Russia and France sitting in the Security Council. This is why you see it. This is their goal. The ultimate goal. Advancing their cause. Number 24. Eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. You are seeing it more and more on your televisions and online on the internet. More and more of this, even in papers. It's just sad. 25. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books. Magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. Goal accomplished. This is already done. The goal is already accomplished. 26. Present homosexuality 
degeneracy and promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Goal accomplished. That's exactly how it's presented today. It's totally normal. It's a normal lifestyle. Promiscuity is presented as normal to our young teens, which is why now we need to sex education. We need to involve them, teach them in sex education at a far too young age. It's ridiculous. 27. Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Goal accomplished. Unfortunately. 28. Eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that it violates the principle of separation of church and state. You cannot make this stuff up. Goal is accomplished. My goodness, I start looking at all the goals of communism. We've embraced them. We're living with them right now. 29. Discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, out of step with modern needs, a hindrance to cooperation between nations on a worldwide basis. You have to do this. You're a communist. You want to overtake America. You want to destroy what she stands for, the morality, the religion, the hope, the freedom. You've got to take out the Constitution. It's incompatible with communism. It doesn't work. So is this discrediting going on right now? Well, let me show you a headline. Obama, Constitution is deeply flawed. I have the resources on this. You're welcome to read further in the articles. New York Times, the opinion pages, let's give up on the Constitution. This is a law professor from Georgetown University. Let's give up on the Constitution. In other words, and I could show you others. This is the mantra. This is the narrative today. The Constitution is outdated. They want to bypass it. It's the shackles on, if you will, communism. Number 30. Discredit American founding fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. Well, let me show you a headline just recently. The Washington Times. Obama blames founding fathers structural design of Congress for gridlock. Goal accomplished. President Obama is taking a swipe at the founding fathers, blaming his inability to move his agenda on the disadvantage of having each state represented equally in the Senate. At a Democratic fundraiser in Chicago Thursday night, Mr. Obama told a small group of wealthy supporters that their are several hurdles to keeping Democrats in control of the Senate and recapturing the House. One of those problems, he said, is the appointment of two Senate seats to each state, regardless of the population. There is an attack on the Constitution. Of course there is. Look at all the other things that communism is doing to this country. It is dismantling it day after day. We are being picked apart right before our eyes. This goes back to the ideological subversion. People don't even realize it is happening. There's a spirit of stupor on this nation. You understand that communism, it is a systematic ideology. And it is set forth to destroy everything that is good, wholesome, pure, lovely. It hates freedom, liberty. All of these things are inherent to the Word of God. This is my point. All of these things are inherent to the Word of God. Therefore, communism is diabolically opposed to the Christian faith. And because of that, we have to anticipate, we have to have the expectation, at least on some level, that this war of communism against our freedoms could result in persecution. It could result in tribulation, in imprisonment, worst case scenario, even death. And more than anything, I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to see this activity in our country. I don't want to see all the sins that are being overtly committed. The murder, the immorality, it's out of control. Not only do I not want to see it, but I don't want to believe it. 
I got to tell you, I get up in the morning and I just wish it wasn't the way I remembered it yesterday. I hate it. But what I want and what is taking place, unfortunately, are two different things. Now, having said that, we need to remember, being believers in Yeshua, we have hope. This is my emphasis. We have hope. There are scriptural truths that we need to embrace in this time where we're living in right now. Truths which give us comfort, which we need to rest on. Going to Psalms 37, verse 7, we read, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So despite being tormented, By seeing and hearing of the lawless deeds, like Lot, despite seeing the wicked gain total control of this nation, we are not to fret. We're to rest in the Lord. We're to put our hope and trust in Him. And when you do this, it will give you the strength to endure what is coming. But you need to do it. And you need to do it now. Going to Proverbs 3.25, I love this passage. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. And I'm telling you, it is coming. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. It's passages like this that give us strength to endure. To endure reproach. To endure persecution. And the more you read the word, the stronger you're going to get. The more stable you will become. It'll give you the ability to overcome the greatest of fears. Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Mashiach, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. We are not to be terrified by our adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. The hellish conditions we're about to face in this country, the only way you're going to make it through it, whether you live or die, is if in fact you have an intimate relationship with the Lord Yeshua. There's a true intimacy where you've embraced repentance. You bear fruit worthy of repentance. You are keeping the commandments of God. You do fear Him. You're not ashamed of His name. You're not ashamed of Him to proclaim Him in public. Then and only then, I'm going to tell you right now, are you going to thrive. Then and only then do you live victoriously. No matter what the circumstances are. I want to take you to Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. In other words, no matter what happens, even if the earth herself starts shaking and trembling and quaking, we are not to be moved. Because God cannot be moved. And if we are standing on the rock, we will not be moved. Yeshua tells us in Matthew chapter 10, 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You need to go home and reread this. And it needs to be embedded into your heart. Because the fear of the world will force you to compromise your faith. Don't underestimate the fear of the world. You will, not even knowingly, you will end up making the decision in the heat of the moment. And you will compromise your faith if, in fact, the fear of the world is greater than the fear of God. You need the fear of God. Fear Him who can destroy your soul and body and hell. He goes on in the next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This is good news, right? 
worth more value than many sparrows. If you have any question how valuable you are, the son gave his life. That's the end of the discussion. He gave, he was willing to give up his own life so that we could live in freedom and liberty in him. Despite if we have to bear shackles. Despite being put in prison. When we see all these atrocities being committed in this land, and the fact that it's literally being taken over right before our eyes, we have hope. We have Yeshua. Yeshua loves us. He is always there for us. I mean, Scripture tells us that He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? This is our hope. I stand fast in it. So, this hope that you have, those who truly have hope, they will not be shaken when it unravels. No matter, maybe at the end of the year, maybe next year, waiting to see, but I'm going to tell you, it's all coming down. This is all coming down. Psalms 27, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. You know, this is David. If anyone understood tribulation and trials, it's King David. And fear, the fear of those who surround him, the fear of Saul. He experienced all of this. You, you want to pay close attention to what he's about to say. Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. I suspect this is going to be your prayer very, very soon. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart. Pay attention. He's telling us something. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So when I tell you, you are not going to make it through what is coming. Look at what David just says. You are not going to make it unless you are rooted and grounded in the faith. He would have lost heart. I'm telling you, once you lose heart, you're going to compromise the faith and you're going to be making decisions to preserve your flesh. It's going to happen. Right now is the training. This is what terrifies me about the church in this country today. We are in Greenwood right now. If the church can't keep the commandments of God when it is in Greenwood, what is going to happen in the dry? Compromise. That's what's going to happen. But here's the beautiful hope we have at the end. You know, one of the things that Paul says is that we will not experience rest until the age to come. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are not going to experience that rest until he comes again. And when he does come again, here's the beautiful promise in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, how relevant this verse is going to become in your lives. And a very, very soon... I want to close today with a warning for all of you. It's found in Ezekiel 33. It's the Lord speaking, obviously through the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what it says, and pay close attention. Ezekiel 33:24. Son of man, they who inhabit the ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. First thing you need to say is they are staking their claim. This land is our land. We've been given this land. It's interesting the parallels that exist today between Israel and this United States of America. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. In other words, again, here's another parallel. He's telling Israel, you rely on your sword. Does America rely on its military might? It does. You rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? He keeps on telling him, your land is full of iniquity. It is full of sin. Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins, shall fall by the sword. 
And the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence. Sword, famine, and pestilence. He's bringing it. His judgment is coming. And we read verse 28. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be desolate uh, so that no one will pass through. Then... So when this desolation comes, when the wrath comes, then they shall know that I am the Lord uh, when I have made the land most desolate because of, all, because of all their abominations which they have committed. Now going on to verse 30, here's where we get to the crux. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another. Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. This is frightening. So they're coming. They want to hear the word of the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Did you catch that? They come in, by coming into this building, with their mouths they offer much love, but they will not compromise, they will not sacrifice their desire for the world. It's going forth. They pursue to their own gain. Verse 32, Indeed, you are to them as a lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they uh, hear your words, but they do not do them. This terrifies me. Because you can go through a message series like this, and if it doesn't grip you to the very core and turn you back to Yeshua, to forsake, to cut the strings of the world, you're like one of these that just come in, and they give lip service, and they tell everyone else, oh, this man, he has the word of the Lord, and yet you do not do the things that the Lord says. This is a warning This is a warning explicitly for these days, for us today. Amen?